0: what is up everybody i'm back with another edition of the state of bitcoin podcast where i'm joined by a very special guest mike jarmuz the muz man if you've ever met Muzz, he's plugged into the bitcoin space he's one of the leading venture capitals uh firms and lightning ventures in the space It has a syndicate and other things where you can get involved in, where we went into that a little bit at the end of the show. But overall, Muzz is just a great dude, a great ambassador for the Bitcoin space. He really breaks down venture capital, and he presents at a lot of these conferences as well. Very approachable. So if you can, you know, go up and say hi to him at one of these things he mentions at the very end where he's going to be all around the globe. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, this is not financial advice. Everything you hear in this podcast should not, not, not be taken as financial advice. Everything is the opinion of Muzz and myself and is for entertainment purposes only. And last housekeeping order, wherever you're listening to this podcast, please, please, please give it a five-star rating, subscribe, 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 and check out my YouTube channel. I do live streams of this every Thursday. The time varies depending on the guest, but I do tweet out the times, and I put the the general, I guess, reminder of the time out on my YouTube the day before. So be sure to check that out, like this video, give it a thumbs up, share it around with friends and family, and give Muzz a follow and check out everything he's got going on. Now, let's get into the episode whoosh. Bing bong. I am live with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast. And I'd like to thank everybody listening on any podcasting 2.0 apps, such as Fountain and Leaving Me boosts. So I've got another boost from Barn Miner. So shout out to Barn Miner, a Tampa legend. He, uh, he said Benny is building, Tampa is where it's at. And uh, yeah, so that he's referring to the last episode. If you didn't listen to it, it's about the grassroots movement with Benny Hoddle, Benny Blader, a Bitcoin lightning dev, overall great dude. And uh, yeah, starting the grassroots movement down here in Tampa. And then I'd like to thank my sponsor, coddle.co. That's C O D L C O. They have the best punch plates in the biz. So get your Bitcoin off an exchange, get it in cold storage and store those seed phrases with a punch plate. Use promo code GreenCandle at checkout. That's G-R-E-E-N-C-A-N-D-L-E, and you'll get 10% off your entire order. I'm really helping you guys out here. You know, I'm helping you get get your Bitcoin off of an exchange and saving you some a little bit of uh, you know dry powder so you could buy some extra sats. So be sure to do that. And now, with all that mouthful, I do have a very special guest sitting in the waiting room who's actually got a deal with fountain. We could talk about that here in a second, but I got Mike Jarmuz the man, the myth, the legend, Muzz. How you doing today, man?
1: Awesome. Uh, I'm doing awesome and thanks for having me and this is a great way to break up a Thursday. So really cool chatting with
0: you. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, obviously you're you're one of the founding partners of Lightning Ventures and you guys have a, a very special deal going on with Fountain. You mentioned it a little bit in pre-show when I was telling you I was going to read those booths. So, Why don't we just start there? We'll start with what is Lightning Ventures for those who don't know, and then what is the deal that you guys got going on with Town?
1: So Lightning Ventures is a boutique, uh, Bitcoin-focused VC group, uh, a network uh, that does a a few different things. First off, we invest in Bitcoin startups, uh, supporting awesome companies that we all know and love. Uh, we invest a little bit through a very small fund, and then we offer those investments to anyone who wants to participate on a deal-by-deal basis You know, for a low minimum of, say, $1,000. You could invest uh, in a real deal, in a real Bitcoin startup, and then um, see how you can help them. You know, maybe you have some superpowers uh, that you you are able to to do, and it leads to very good things and networking and partnership opportunities and lots of other things as well can can come of it. So um, that's the focus is trying to build out a really robust group of amazing Bitcoin all stars and then uh, invest in the best companies that we can champion them, uh, help them as much as we can moving forward. And that's what we're all about.
0: Awesome. So yeah, then what's the deal? What's the deal going on with Fountain? Are you guys uh, helping them raise some, some uh, capital right now?
1: So they haven't uh, announced it yet, but they had a successful round right now. And um, to close it out, we have an allocation in Lightning Ventures that can be announced publicly and spoken about, unlike a lot of, Uh, Those type of investments, they can't be uh, solicited publicly or talked about. Fountain uh, is an exception to that right now, so we can mention it. But yes, you can invest in Fountain, uh, the podcasting app, uh, on the same terms as the other VCs that participated in this round. And uh, these are not token sales or ICOs or nonsense. These are um, real investments so it's kind of cool if you love a company or a fan of theirs you can also get started with angel investing for like a thousand bucks and you can learn (laughs) and there's no shortage of things to learn along the way when you get started in this sort of thing so
0: that is the deal with fountain awesome stuff awesome stuff Well, well let's bring it back then um so for those in the audience who may not know you or not you know, heard your story. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and, uh, yeah, how how you got into Bitcoin?
1: Sure. So, um, you know, I saw Bitcoin on a message board and dismissed it like a long time ago, and then it resurfaced, you know, right around somewhere in that $3 or so area, you know, somewhere around there. Um, the Kaiser report right around then was, you know, started really talking about it a lot more, mentioning it more. And, um, I started just keeping an eye on it then. Uh, and I had a bar in Manhattan where we had the second Bitcoin ATM, at least at the time. So right, right around that era. So, um, you know, I still have a valid Mount Gox claim. Let's see what happens. You know, learned a lot of lessons, didn't take my own Bitcoin security very seriously, uh, back then. And, um, Started started around then. So that's when I got involved. And then as far as Lightning Ventures goes, we're only about a year and a half old. Um, And that's the sole focus of what I'm working on right now is is uh, Bitcoin venture capital, uh, helping these companies um, and doing as much education and, uh, you know, trying to make it more inclusive. You know, these are investment opportunities that everyone should have access to. And um, it's still very hard to get access to private investments. You, it's There's a lot to navigate there. Um, so just trying to do my part uh, in the evangelism of, of all that stuff. Before that, I was in the music business for quite a while, did a bunch of stuff there, had a, have had a bunch of small businesses in my life. Uh, I also traveled around with some musicians while I was doing that stuff on, on tour and, uh, you know, had a little flower kiosk and I had a cafe in New York City. I had a retail store in Arizona and Tempe, kind of like a hot topic sort of place. And I've just had a bunch of different weird experiences in my life. I drove a taxi in New York City. I lived on a Mississippi plantation farm called the Shack Up Inn. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of weird stuff
0: man the man of mystery right here i mean you've done it all i mean i feel like any kind of weird quirky job uh you know you seem to have done and it's all brought you to bitcoin which is pretty interesting but i want to get started in like kind of the venture capital space because what you mentioned is that you know lightning ventures has been around for maybe a year and a half which you know brings us to maybe late 21 or so um and that's kind of been an interesting time just like overall macro wise right we've had like a lot of uncertainty obviously with you know the extensive money printing the extreme inflation we saw you know just from that and we're kind of seeing the after effects with that so um on just like kind of a broad scale since you got started in this venture capital you know side of things has the i guess overall environment changed dramatically now that you know we're kind of starting to see some cracks in the overall Macro environment.
1: Um, yeah, everything ebbs and flows, and I started my—I made my first private investment in 2015. So you know, it's not like I have multiple cycles under my belt uh, as far as 2000 and and others um, in terms of private markets and venture capital. So, uh, but there are times when things trade at significant discounts. And at those times that things trade to significant discounts, capital is usually not as easily accessible. Okay, so rounds end up taking longer and, you know, dragging on a little bit longer. And things obviously always are still closing and happening, but it's just a much more cooler environment. Sort of the period where, you know, uh, maybe we really liked a company, but we had some things that we needed to button up. By the time we circle back, maybe two and a half or a couple of weeks later, the round's full and we're shut out. And that sort of environment is no longer here, Uh, which is nice. I kind of like a little bit more of a calmer environment than that instead of the FOMO driven type of stuff. But at the same time, uh, it's too cool because there's a lot of founders who can't get over the line. The word oversubscribed is seen less and less Um, because, you know, maybe, maybe they got 50 to 80% of the amount that they had originally intended to raise. And that's enough to kind of get to the next milestone and do what they need to do. They don't need uh, all of it right now, especially given the the surroundings you know so then it's kind of like okay well we're not like closing the round and announcing it just yet but like no longer in active fundraising mode like in active build mode but then like if the phone rings we'll still take a check you know what i mean like any inbound just kind of like that period so that kind of becomes a new like end period with stuff um But yeah, it's definitely cooled off. I mean, even just from a year and a half ago uh, when we did our first syndicate or first started investing uh, through our little small fund, um, you know, this is this is way different. This is probably as slow as this is as slow as it's been. It's not even like it was slower a month and a half ago. Like I would say right now is probably that
0: yeah and that's that kind of leads to like you know I guess an interesting time and interesting discussion with all of this because you know not only with uh you know the the weird macro environment that we've had, we've also had kind of a lot of I, I guess maybe not not bitcoin fud but crypto fud, which seems to affect the Bitcoin market, right? We've had FTX and some of these other companies kind of you know blow up on the spot, go up to extreme evaluations, and then seemingly go bankrupt right where I mean, we're seeing a lot of exchanges and other you know, I guess, uh, outside Bitcoin companies, maybe some Bitcoin mining companies and other things kind of go bankrupt as well. So is that kind of, uh, I guess, do you think playing a little bit of a role when it comes to, uh, you know, I guess maybe some of these fundraising or are you, I guess, dealing with more, I guess, Bitcoin maxis where they kind of understand the ebbs and flows of the market and they just really believe in, you know, the technology of Bitcoin?
1: Okay, so... It's not just like this this phase that we just went through. Three arrows, arrows Capital, FTX, BlockFi, Celsius. You know the smaller ones, the HODL Knots. Uh, all of these other things that just kind of happened. Okay, um, I don't I don't think that that is it because you know look at the Nasdaq. Um, you know look at the growth name stocks. I mean look at the way everything is down. Um, everything. You know, even housing, um, and you know, I'm not like this type of guy. That's like a Dylan Leclaire type of uh, type of stuff. Um, but you know, just just looking at the way the wealth effect is, you know, when you when the 401ks, the statements come out, like the layoffs are accelerating. GM just the other day announced another 500. Um, it's it's everyone starts to tighten up, and there's kind of no avoiding that. But it feels like bitcoin is holding up a lot better than this other stuff i mean wish.com was an ipo that i had had uh you know it went from 32 dollars to like 40 cents you know which is probably where it's trading at right now like people think bitcoin is like volatile or not as safe you know all of them you know get around and and um you know every ipo like hot like hot name in the private space has just been such a terrible IPO lately, and that's where I have a, a lot of my investments. You know, so I keep a pretty good eye on that market. You know, something like Klarna getting cut from forty eight billion to like fifteen. Um, you know, that's that's a big haircut. Um, you know, the thing, the Impossible Foods. Uh, those type of big names um, have just seen their valuations get killed. Spacs have been canceled. You know, Circle, uh, the USDC Circle, they had a, they had a failed spac of like it was supposed to be like nine or ten billion dollars, uh, just ended up not happening at all. Um, so you have this like the worst um, IPO market, um, maybe potentially on record, I believe. Um, you know, I don't quote me on that, but I believe it's the it's the worst, slowest period on record. So, um, you know, a lot of liquidity dries up uh, real quick, and I think that it's just felt with everything. And I think Bitcoin is surprisingly holding up pretty well.
0: Yeah, and, and it is. I, I, I was kind of making that point the other day as well to somebody I was just talking to anecdotally. So, you know, it, it has kind of been just like floating around this 25K-ish mark where it seems like everything else is kind of falling and crashing. And, you know, you did mention something interesting when it comes to a lot of these IPOs and other, you know, uh, SPACs and everything else, just showing like extreme volatility in the market, whereas, you know, obviously kind of the knock on Bitcoin for quite some time, was Bitcoin's too volatile. Bitcoin's too volatile with, with everything, right? When it comes to the USD price, exchange rate, whatever you want to call it. But now that we're seeing, you know, a lot of money just kind of changing hands and seemingly, you know, volatility in the stock market is becoming the new norm. It seems like, you know, we're seeing stocks go up 100, 120% in a day and other things like that. Um, you know, IPOs crashing and burning, uh, just kind of like you mentioned, Uh, Do you think that that's going to, I guess, in a sense, almost help people kind of uh, just stop that argument and that negative, uh, I guess, perception around Bitcoin when it comes to volatility? And then maybe, I guess, move a little bit closer to educating themselves on the technology behind it.
1: Yeah, I mean, volatility is like the new norm, right? Um, And I think like some people want it. I mean, I think the Gen Z want you know yolo type of returns and stuff so i mean yes super uh, i mean multiple days where the nasdaq sheds like five percent like there's been a good handful and those type of things like never happened like ever <laughs> really um so it's like oh nasdaq's down another two and a half percent today like this just like every day like that's insane uh that's that's really nuts Um, But, you know, once you understand Bitcoin, right, like it doesn't really matter. Like the price of Bitcoin doesn't bother me. Uh, You know, I don't make a living trading. I mean, a a good trade is fun if you can hit one, right, especially at the right time. Uh, But like I don't make a living doing that all day. So for me, like the DCA, just stacking, hodling. like I don't get emotional over the price of Bitcoin. Um, I do get pretty emotional over the price of a stock. Uh, that definitely affects me. And what I call the sleep indicator, which is, is if you can't sleep at night, uh, you, and then you might have too much stock, uh, okay? Or if you can't sleep, then that might not be a good trade that you're sitting in. So um, the Bitcoin thing never bothers me. Uh, in fact, nothing would make me happier than seeing it just bump around 23 to 28K for the next year and a half. Like That would be great. That would be great. Just keep stacking, you know, keep getting it, because once you get it, the USD price eventually doesn't really matter to you. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. You know, maybe it does to people who just get in and, you know, if they're putting in 100 bucks a week in their uh, swan or whatever account uh, and then they see that they're down 14 percent, maybe it bothers them. But I think once you get it, it doesn't bother you anymore.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you a hundred percent. I, I, uh, you know, I think when I first got in, I was just checking the price every single day. And then now, you know, I have the DCA set up, so I just don't even really look at it. I, the only time I really think about the price is I get the notification on my phone. Like, Hey, you bought Bitcoin just now. I'm like, oh, all right, nice. And so I kind of check it out then, but really, I just don't really, you know, actively look or, or care about it. Maybe if there's something going on on Twitter or something else like that. Um, but you mentioned, uh, you know, when it comes something to, to stocks and and Bitcoin, right, you kind of have that almost like parallel where you, d- you don't care about the Bitcoin price, but you care about, you know, the stock price. And you said, you know, the average pleb probably feels the same way, especially people that have gone in and, uh, you know, early on or have been in it for some time, learned the technology. But the one thing that worries me is a lot of these, you know, companies that maybe, you know. Obtain Bitcoin through sales or you know, kind of require it that way, and you know, maybe they're trying to hold on to some and lose some of their value and do some savings in that sense. Um, so you know, for those companies, I know, yeah, I, I know you kind of uh, you don't have your finger on the entire market or anything like that, but for Bitcoin, kind of floating around that those numbers that you said, like 23 to 28k. Do you think it would be kind of detrimental for, I guess, not Bitcoin, but for more of like the outskirts of some Bitcoin companies? The, to what? Like basically, like, you know, we've seen Bitcoin miners kind of had to capitulate at, at this point. We've seen a lot of them have to sell off, um, you know, whether they, they kind of uh, leverage by either getting loans on their Bitcoin miners or getting loans based on their Bitcoin and then having that price kind of plummet. Um, You know, do you think that that like kind of long term or I guess a a longer term effect of having the Bitcoin price a little bit depreciated from its all time high uh, would kind of cause, I guess, a little bit more pain in uh, the business side of Bitcoin?
1: No, I don't think so, because there's there's the price and then there's adoption and use cases and innovation and that on a chart looks incredible. Um, that on a chart looks incredible. So I think the price becomes secondary. Um, and I think that companies holding a Bitcoin treasury, some sort of Bitcoin treasury, which every Bitcoin company has some sort of Bitcoin treasury. Some of them are much greater. Okay. And in a bull market, You're literally like, I was thinking about this the other day. Okay. It's like go, it's like back to the future. It's like your own time machine of going back three quarters, two quarters, and you have a whole different number for that month. Okay. You know, if you are holding, let's say 90%, 70%, 80%, as close to 100 as possible in a Bitcoin treasury and have been and are accepting Bitcoin and stack. You're going to like, when we double from here and triple from here, you're going back and you're just having an insane run. Okay. On those months that are behind you, you know Uh, and not only that, but you're extending your runway with the price going up. You know, everyone calculates their runway in dollars or in Bitcoin at the time we have, you know, 17 months of runway. You know, this is our net burn. This is our growth rate. You can project things. Okay. But when you're keeping that in Bitcoin and you have a 30% up month or 18% up month or a 10% up day, like what did you just get? Another four months of runway? Uh, Assuming the price stays there or keeps moving. It's like, it's, it's really interesting to think about what happens to your company in these traditional sort of ways.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it, it definitely is pretty interesting, you know, when it comes to that. Uh, so that's, you know, I just kind of struck my mind when you were talking about the price, you know, just kind of how companies view holding Bitcoin and other things like that. Because, you know, I, I guess from just like an outsider looking in, it does look you know, it looks good on, you know, Twitter and kind of the other mediums where people kind of, you know, jump on board of these companies who have been, you know, whether it's a miner or something, have been hodling Bitcoin. But in turn, you know, the price falls dramatically and then they have to sell a lot of it off at essentially a loss and, and it ends up biting some companies in the butt. Uh, but I think, you know, as now we're kind of floating around that price, the big the companies that have sustained and been able to kind of ride this wave are probably better suited in the long run, just kind of like you're saying, when when we'll, we'll be looking back to this time and, you know, as Bitcoin, you know, moons or skyrockets or whatnot, even if it's just doubles or whatnot, it'll, uh, they'll be sitting pretty opposed to, you know, some of these who had to sell a bunch of their Bitcoin off. Um, but I want to get into a little bit more about Lightning Ventures, kind of how you view, uh, you know, investing in companies, because, you know, I've heard you, you speak about it a couple times. And I think it it is pretty interesting, uh, the approach, because, you know, some VCs are are more hands off, um, some like to be kind of in the weeds. So, you know, when it comes to viewing these, you know, Bitcoin companies, you get pitched, I'm sure ideas and companies all the time. Um, So, you know, how do you, I guess, view a company based on, you know, one, like if you want to invest on in it at all um, based on a pitch or talking to a founder or whatnot, and uh, two, like kind of what's your interaction level when you uh, invest with a company?
1: Well, so the, in, the interaction level um, is first off based on how much you're welcome, uh, right? By, by the team, uh, how much they kind of bring you in the tent. Um, and there's also proactive and reactive, right? There's reactive, uh, VCs where somebody says, founder says, Hey, can you introduce me to this person? And then you do that. Um, and then there's proactive, which is like, Hey, I just had a conversation with this guy. I think this would be a great integration or partnership for you and to do those things. So we're fairly new. Uh, and you know, we don't, we don't have this type of typical model that other VCs have in terms of some management fees and other things right now. So we don't have a big budget to do a lot of these things, but my entire Friday is just open to hang with founders and we have quite a few. And, you know, sometimes you get pulled in, sometimes you're not involved. Sometimes there are certain, what do we, I, we can't do anything for strike. Okay. Um, you know, we can read their updates. Maybe it's a hiring thing, but like, I, I don't have like FaceTime with them. Okay. They're beyond that. We were lucky that they let us participate and, you know, get the, get our network and they wanted the Bitcoiners to participate in around. We were a very good vehicle for that. Um, and they have an amazing team and like, that was cool. So I don't spend any time with them, you know, even same thing with saying unchained capital, maybe, maybe there's a partnership or an integration or something, but it's a whole different deal. But Companies at an earlier stage, um, I might be talking to you all the time. Maybe they're applying for licenses. Maybe they're doing things. Maybe they have a problem. Uh, so sometimes I'm engaged. And if I haven't caught up with someone in a while, I'll just ping them and, you know, we'll hop on a call. And uh, there's always something good that comes out of it. Okay. So I know that that I do that. and I know that we do that. And I want to maintain uh, that reputation. Like, it's important. So just to give you an example, one of our companies, Slice. um, An ad tech company in Bitcoin, uh, somebody in our network worked for a very large ad network and was able to get their application approved, get them in like the world's their oyster. This was the most important thing that needed to happen for the company right then. And it happened in a couple of days. And now we're two weeks away from a whole new thing for this company. Right. And that was facilitated in the Lightning Ventures Network. That was in our group. That's the goal. OK, is to be able to do that. And by the way, that company actually offered that person some advisor shares. And now he's on their team and going to help them succeed forever. OK, he didn't even invest in the company. All right. But those are the type of things that that that, that we're trying to facilitate that we want to facilitate, you know, and it's great for attorneys. It's great for an attorney who might review a one page document for free. Maybe they're a fan, get to know the company. And then it's a client relationship. You know, that's great. Uh, and it 's trusted you know trusted people, so same thing does anyone in here in i o you know is anyone an i o s wizard We need someone to help us get this thing approved right uh you never know what they turn into, so that 's what i 'm trying to do so that 's my involvement right i'm I try to be involved, and it 's still up to the company and it's up to a number of different things, but um, as much as much as I can be, and I hope that we continue to build out a more robust system of a playbook and partnerships and other things, right? Whether you want to design the booth at your upcoming conference and you need a tablecloth and some t-shirts and whatever to, Hey, we need some top of funnel help, like with LinkedIn, like we need to, whatever it is. Okay. B2B stuff um, and have more of a playbook there. As far as what we invest in, or looking for Um, the syndicate model is different in that we, we want to invest in the best stuff that we can and make that available to other people too. Okay. We don't have a large fund like these other uh, Bitcoin VCs, you know, maybe they're taking board seats, uh, leading rounds at a large scale. Okay. We don't have the ability to do that Uh, by default we can lead rounds at a very early level right which comes down to maybe negotiating the terms and um and participating right so we can do that but we we don't have that next uh step so we're we're not doing that but what do we look for well look i i don't have any hard rules other than you know i never invest in uncapped notes of course um but things have to be at a certain level in a company's cycle to be able to take an investment from anyone. Okay. This is like we are not hackathon investors. Okay. That is not the type of deal here. That's like, I love bolt fun. I love everyone else who's doing that stuff. Uh, but that's not us, right? You have to be incorporated. You have to have incorporated properly. Uh, there are other things to think about in terms of options pools and um, lots of things uh, that can happen down the road. Right. So, You have to be at that point. And personally, I don't love pre-revenue, pre-product stuff. That's not to say that we haven't invested in a a number of those things. But, I mean, the sweet spot is right when you have an MVP, you have some traction, and you're moving, okay, with a month-over-month growth rate of some kind, whatever KPIs you're looking at, how long people are using it, uh, how often they uninstall, um, you know, what's an active user, and you kind of start figuring your company out. That's a really nice spot to come in uh, and start investing. So, you um, you know, the team, the teams that have worked together before teams that where it's not maybe their first startup, they've done this before, they've done something before um, is always nice to see, uh, especially teams that have worked together. Um, And yeah, I mean, we've invested in a few things that aren't maybe venture sized returns. Okay. Uh, But that doesn't mean that they're not fantastic, amazing companies and will provide a great return. It just might not be A venture size return, and nobody should get upset with that. If you're a founder, uh, that your your product just isn't big enough, or the TAM isn't big enough, or whatever it is, you still have to build whatever you're building. Um, But the reality is, is some people only swing for the fences. You know, the Babe Ruth effect. Uh, There are a lot of VCs who, you know, maybe you have a fantastic business, maybe it's even positive cash flow, maybe it's even a great business, but it doesn't have those. Outsized returns that a lot of VCs need uh, to make it work uh, on the structure for what they're investing out of and their LPs at the at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, I mean that that was just a great rundown of what you guys all look for and everything like that. But I want to dive into like the founder aspect. Um, so you know, when it comes to to founders, right? I mean, there's just a the basic you know general thing. Some people make it and some people don't. And you know, when it comes to businesses. And a lot of times it, it has to be on the back of the founder, whether, you know, how resilient they are, kind of like mindset, all that kind of stuff, because obviously running a startup and kind of building something from scratch is not an easy thing to do. So, you know, I guess like, do you look for anything specifically, you know, personality wise, I know you kind of mentioned a little bit more about experience, but is there something, you know, maybe not uh, as like resume focused that you look for in founders when you're kind of discussing and maybe ask them a couple questions about that?
1: It's always good to see somebody take something, take nothing and make something, right? As much bootstrapping as possible before even the thought of taking an investment. And somebody who thinks, you know, oh, I just had a great idea. I'm going to go out and raise $2 million is like a giant red flag. Uh, That is not something that you want. Someone who maybe misrepresents themselves with, oh, so-and-so is, yeah, they're in the round which so-and-so is not necessarily in the round, or we have X amount of dollars booked in revenue, um, but it's really not revenue, it's GMV, and the revenue number is actually really small. Now, did they not understand the difference? I don't know, but a lot of these, you know, a lot of founders sometimes need a little bit of uh, an education there too. Did they purposely misrepresent themselves? I don't know, but um, definitely things that kind of send up red flags, as well as maybe weird personality quirks. Maybe you've never spoken with someone and they just book something on your calendar. Like that's that's the best way to make an enemy. Uh, not a good idea to do. Uh, or maybe you you know the founder just doesn't have it together. Have a have a Google Drive. Have everything kind of in there. You know your presentation and an executive summary. Maybe some early version of a cap table or whatever you have done. Um, some corporate documents, maybe you have some early KPIs, maybe you have a 10-page marketing ramble uh, that you did at some point in time on kind of a go-to-market plan, stuff that in there, stuff anything that you want um, that's, that's noteworthy uh, before you kind of go out and start uh, trying to, to get some investments.
0: Yeah, and that's a great point on like the timing of the venture capital stuff because, you know, I think... Uh, I think that's probably gotten a little bit less, but maybe maybe you can uh, tell me I'm wrong here because I think, you know, I would imagine that a lot of, you know, I guess founders are kind of jumping, were jumping in at maybe like the FOMO time of things when you saw Bitcoin price and other things like running up and that's when they thought, their time to get investment was, and that's when they would say, Hey, I have this idea. I just need a couple million dollars to, to make it happen. But are you kind of seeing a shift in that with founders where they're kind of, I guess, expecting money to come a little bit slower during this like kind of overall macro time. So you're not seeing as many with, I guess, unrealistic expectations or maybe showing those kind of red flags.
1: Um, okay. So the, the oversubscribed party round, the, the big number, um, that hasn't happened now. And, you know, valuations do ultimately matter. Things matter. Uh, they, in, the, in the uptime, it, it's what? It's all about growth, right? Uh, it's talking about growth and inflated valuations. And in times like this, it's about defense. It's about uh, my, your product's not live don't spend money on marketing. Like, what are you marketing right now if your product is not live? That is a monumental waste of money. Uh, And, you know, our best founders, uh, eight months ago, instituted a hiring freeze, you know, tightened up their ships all the way around, raised a small round back when it was a little bit still better, raised a small round just to pad their runway a little bit, even though they didn't need it. OK, couple hundred K something and batten down the hatches. OK, that's what was smart. And that was great. And not everyone does that. You know, everyone's going to do whatever they want to do. But in this environment right now, it's about defense and it's about um, sustainability. And each one of these outcomes that I've personally had in a company uh, that's outside of Bitcoin um, all has a different learning. Okay. It's very interesting to see what can happen. And it's very interesting to see at the end of a company's life when they're dissolving and you get that letter from the founder, okay, that he's sharing with you things that he's learned. And of course he will start another company and he wants to do things right. And like this happens, it's life. Okay. But when it happens well, and you, you get an in, an inside look on a lot of things Uh, Like, hey, everyone was throwing money at us uh, a year ago, uh, and we didn't take it. And hindsight, we probably should have took a little bit more um, when everyone was throwing it at us so that we could now, we would not be dissolving. Okay, so there's that. There's hindsight, hey, we raised in an absurd valuation at the highs, and now nobody wants to invest. Okay, so you know, as a founder, you think, "Oh, I want the highest valuation possible." Okay, I want to sell as little of my company as possible. And then, if you fail to grow into that valuation, um, you just never raise again, and your company's done. And not not everyone really thinks about that. So, all of these type of things happen. Or, hey, it looks like the company's on the ropes. Okay, they're ready to freaking tap out, and then they pivot last minute, they rename, they do something different, and there's a whole new breath of life. You know what I mean? Those type of things happen as well when it's when it's not looking great. You know what I mean? Um, and vice versa. So there's just so much to learn through like experience. It's...
0: Yeah. And I mean, that, that's very interesting that you bring that up because, you know, I think one of the hardest things, you know, just from just watching like Shark Tank and some of these other things, like talking to some founders, I think one of the things that is pretty difficult is the valuation aspect, and like you said, I, just from like an outsider, you know, looking in, it seems like uh, just from a founder's perspective, it would be advantageous to to raise at the highest valuations because you know you're kind of thinking in the short term, you're like, oh, I'll, I'll definitely grow into that, but it is interesting that you're raising like it could be some some problems and some issues like later on down the road, you know, when you have maybe a tougher macro environment uh, and capital or liquidity is a little bit tighter or closer to the vest and people aren't really throwing money at you. But, um, you know, I guess, how do you, uh, I I guess, help founders, uh, I guess, value their company. Do you you help them do that if you kind of come in at an early stage Um, or is it generally speaking kind of, uh, I guess, the founder or, you know, somebody in the company that's evaluating the, the uh, evaluating the company. And uh, that's kind of how you determine, you know, X amount of shares per, you know, X amount of dollars.
1: Well, okay. so first off, let's talk about the types of instruments in which most of these are at the earliest stages, which which is not actually a priced round equity type of shares deal. It's usually uh, done with a note. All right. Which is a safe note, which is a simple agreement for future equity. That's what a lot of early investments are. Sometimes they're priced super early, uh, but a lot of these are safe notes that convert at a future financing. So you don't actually know the the valuation that you invest in, but there are certain uh, provisions like a cap. Um, some outside the U.S. have what's known as a floor. Uh, there's... Um, an interest rate, if it's convertible debt and not a safe, but still a note, same deal, just uh, there's a maturity date. There's a lot of other things that can happen in there. But that's how a lot of these investments are made. So in terms of negotiating, well, um, that depends on a few different things. Because if uh, your company, let's say, uh, has uh, a lead investor and a million dollars, Uh, in of a 1.5 million dollar round okay there's nothing i have to say about the valuation it's done it doesn't matter i either like it okay we like it and are going to participate alongside and start our journey and be on the same cap table with everyone else with all of our interests aligned and help this company or we're not there's no different deal. It's not like, yo, you get this discount and you get this thing over here and then we'll take this over here. Like that's not how it works. So everyone's on the same terms. I really have no say in that type of situation. You just are in or you're out. Um, if a company is looking to do their first fundraise and they're just getting started, okay, we could in effect uh, and have negotiated a valuation that, that, that I like, okay, that we like, that we agree on, and then we'll be the first maybe 250000 or so dollars into the company, uh, whatever on those terms. Now, there's a document that's called the Most Favored Nations Clause, okay? If that's accompanied with it, OK, and they go out and they raise from someone else on better terms. They have to come back and give us the same terms and amend our document. Okay, That's a most favored nation because I'm taking the risk, right? If this thing has a 10 million dollar cap, OK, and we're the first investors and the first one's there and we love this thing. And then they go out and they raise for somebody else on an 8 million or a 7 million dollar cap. That's just not fair. We're the first ones in and we're their biggest fans. So that's another document that can kind of add for some protection there. Um, I like to be on good enough terms with the founders where we don't need that document. Okay, they will just do that because that's the right thing to do and they find us helpful and we are on their team, right? So that has happened as well um, in the past. So um, if the company hasn't raised before, we can kind of come to some sort of valuation Okay. But as far as valuing your company, you know, every industry has different metrics. You know, there's SAS valuations, there's CPG valuations, uh, and everything else in the world that have different multiples. Okay. So in normal land, um, there are normal deals where a company would have, you know, 900k in ARR, and they're raising it a 16 million or $20 million valuation. uh, And they have plenty of previous and co-investors and like that's a normal deal that makes sense right um and there are many deals that don't make that kind of sense and it's a binary outcome uh, a lot of the time um and and that's pretty much that
0: yeah i got you and, and that that all makes sense so now let's let's bring it back a little bit to to lightning ventures right so we we're just about i mean we're in the third month uh here starting like at last month of the quarter um, so obviously like about three quarters of the, of the year left, you know, what, what is your overall outlook for, for 2023 with lightning ventures? Like, what are you guys looking to accomplish? Um, are you looking to, you know, do you have a set number of deals, that kind of stuff, or are you just kind of, you know, I guess, right in the wave and seeing how things go?
1: Well, here's the thing um, it's quality over quantity, but right now there is a quantity of amazing companies in the Bitcoin world, it is unbelievable, and we've been going at a pretty unbeatable pace. Um, we've been moving a lot. I think we're going to slow down just a hair here uh, and reevaluate some some things. But there, we I, we have such a great pipeline of of amazing companies uh, that we want to roll out. But it's also depending on investor appetite and demand. Okay, because We are a syndicate. Uh, We don't have a $30 million fund that we're deploying out of. In fact, if we did, that would be nice right about now. Um, If we did have a nice $21 million fund, that would come in very handy right now. Uh, So, you know, we need a lot of things to cooperate with us. You know, we have four live deals right now. That's a lot. You know what I mean? That's a lot. And we're starting to have some fun with them and, and learn new ways that we can play around uh, with the laws and some of these other offerings that can be advertised and, and I'm playing around with, you know, the idea of bringing in a crowdfunding portal type of environment where people can invest in other things that I'm working on sort of in my secret lab, uh, that kind of skirts a lot of these, uh, you know, uh, nonsense accredited, uh, requirements. So what do I see for that? We have so many good deals right now, bro. We're going to hit the pause button a little bit. We're going to button up these four. Um, I wish I could talk about all of them. And we have one, one more that's coming. Uh, And we're going to continue to just support our companies and keep doing what we're doing. I talked to Roy from breeze today. I love them. There's a lot of stuff going on with uh, potential integrations and um, just, we're just going to continue to just keep doing what we're doing and, hopefully the markets all cooperate, you know? I mean, I thought we were getting a relief. I thought that the 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 worst was behind us, I have to say. And as Lightning Ventures, you know, really the bulk of a lot of what we did uh, was through this entire bearish period. And let me tell you, like, it was not fucking easy persisting through this. Like, we have freaking... It, it, it is, like, a serious challenge, okay? And we've deployed over $6 million, um, you know, from plebs, from our fund, like, getting people involved, like, helping these companies, like, that is fucking hard, okay? And it's not like we raised, you know, $10 million uh, from LPs and just deployed it, right? Uh, it's, it's deal by deal, and it's, like, a lot. So... I would love to keep running. I would love to keep running and growing and do more education and stuff and do more uh, content and get people together. I want to have a whole mining side, you know, a whole mining side where we're able to facilitate partnerships on the back end, even if we're not investing. By the way, a lot of mining companies are incorporated as LLCs. There's a whole other component with a lot of uh, mining things that make them a little less friendly for venture capital. Okay. But we have a ton of partnerships. We have a ton of a stable. Okay, so like, what do you need? Uh, You have a ton of miners. uh, You want to you want to buy a ton of miners. You have a ton of power. You want a ton of power. Something else. Which one of those are you? Let's field it on the back end. Let's facilitate the partnerships. You know, what I mean, maybe we can have a great little business there. So that's something that I'm trying to put together. Develop the scout program. You know, if somebody knows of a founder that wants to raise and wants to connect us, um, that's awesome. Uh, and we share a percentage of those deals when that happens with the person, uh, that's not a handshake deal with me. That's a real deal. Doc, you send the whole shebang. Um, so would like to do that. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's, a, that's about it. And maybe figure out how to use some of these fancy dancy tools online, you know, podcasts and this, that, and the other thing, you know? <laughs>
0: yeah man i got it but i mean the one thing that gets me just pumped up from what you were just saying is that you have so many great companies coming to you and it's been a bear market right i mean you know obviously that the phrase on twitter has been you know uh, bear markets are for building and it really you know from what you're saying it seems like that that's really going on and a lot of these companies are are going to come out stronger on the other side um you know when we maybe get a little bit more of a friendly macro environment and we get more people kind of uh You know, deploying some capital. But for those listening that maybe want to join the syndicate or other things like that, you know, what are maybe some of the requirements for, you know, a retail investor or something to do that? Do you need to be accredited? And uh, if so, like, you know, what are those kind of things? And how do you join the syndicate? Um, You know, is it through your website or some other means?
1: Well, um, the absolute easiest way is to fill out the uh, LP application, the little application that we have on our website which is ltng.ventures, okay? If you if you do that, um, it actually bypasses like a two-day wait period uh, that they have um, on the platform and you know some of the other sort of registration hurdles, okay? So 100%, the easiest way uh, is to just fill that out, okay? And we'll send you a custom uh, thing. Now, yes, you do have to be accredited. Um, In most all cases, okay, let me just put that asterisk there. Most all cases, you must be accredited, okay? And that is uh, a self-certification process uh, in line with uh, the way that the law is, okay? Which comes down to you uh, stating that you're accredited. And if you don't know what those requirements are, that's that you have made $200,000 last year and you have the expectation of making it this year. Uh, I think that's a pretty gray area because if you think positive, you're certainly always expecting uh, that you're going to have a good year. So, but the government says if you expect it, then click the button, you're accredited. So, uh, think positive. Uh, you can also have a million dollars in net worth, excluding your primary residence. Uh, that is another way to check the box and click uh, yes. You can also have some FINRA designations like a Series 7 or maybe a 65, 56, all these kind of things. Uh, They let let those uh, with uh, certain FINRA licenses have it without any income requirements whatsoever. And then there's some other weird, vague verbiage uh, about uh, what qualifies. It's very, very gray. Uh, And that's a self-certification process. So click the right button and get started. Um, But yeah, your tax documents will be in there. Um, You know, your consolidated K-1s. Likely there will be no activity. So you don't have to give that to your accountant every year, right? If you invest in Fountain and then there are no liquidity events or nothing happens to Fountain uh, for three years, for however long, uh, there's nothing really that you have to report, Okay, and then fountain is acquired or something happens. Right. Uh, Then there's an event there Uh, and there are a lot of crazy loopholes that fancy people use to get uh, to pay no taxes up to a million dollars on a QSBS, which is a qualified uh, small business uh, company. Uh, who happens to file a paperwork at the very early stages and they, they become that and then all of their investors pay almost no tax and it's a weird little loophole that's out there. Um, we're trying to learn all that we can about that so we can advise our companies properly when they want to do that like a 409 uh, uh, election on your stock options and these type of things. So, uh, ltng.ventures, our portfolios on there. If you're looking to raise, you can fill out the intake form on the raise. There's a mining side there too, where someone can fill out something. If you have something to say on the mining side. Um, and, um, yeah, any questions hit me up.
0: Yeah, that's great stuff. So everybody, you know, if you can go check that out, go check out the, uh, you know, accredited investor kind of form and everything like that and and fill that out as you wish, I suppose. But another aspect that I, one last question before I let you go here is, you know, it seems like you're building a great network and that's a big part of the value add that you bring to a lot of these companies is you have, you know, maybe iOS engineers or just kind of like this network of people that are in and around the Bitcoin space in some way, shape or form that you can bring to these companies and uh, yeah, just like kind of help them with their business, help catapult them and, and bring them along. So if somebody maybe isn't an accredited investor or you know, has some sort of skills that they think they, they could help maybe some of the companies that you have in your portfolio, do you guys have like a place where they could come or as a way for them to reach out to you where they could say like, hey, I have these skills that maybe I could be of value to XYZ company?
1: Um, I would say probably to a still fill out the application, even if you have no intention of uh, clicking any sort of button or doing anything, but at least like we'll know uh, from that form kind of what areas you're good at. And this is very crude the way we set this up. I mean, we have a joke. It's like we're good at investing in Bitcoin companies. We're we're bad at websites. Uh No, I mean, but, th- you know, there's there's things on there to where we get an idea and then we'll at least have the information moving forward Um, can hop in the telegram channel. Sometimes there's um, word of jobs or other things in there. Uh, If it gets too noisy or spammy, I'm going to have to figure something out, but so far it's okay. Uh, There's some opportunities and stuff that are in there and, you know, participating in a scout program uh, if that's something that you're interested in, you don't have to be accredited for that. Uh, You don't have to be accredited to be an advisor to a company. You don't have to be accredited for, for many things. So, um, you can always participate that way. Uh, but yeah, just, I mean, letting us know what you do is great. Uh, that's probably a good way to get started.
0: Awesome stuff. Well, thank you so much for your time. Why don't you tell people where they could find you and, uh, yeah, what else you got going on?
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, uh, Vietnam, uh, for the conference out there, Da Nang. Uh, for the Lightning Con. And then uh, right after that is in Pouch, uh, Philippines. There's the That's being put on out there on Bitcoin Island. So that'll be fun too. And then, um, yeah, I'm going to be there. That's going to be awesome. And then um, May, of course, Miami. And then BTC Prague. I'm going to hit that too. I'm very excited. I've always wanted to go to Prague. Uh, that's pretty much it for a lot of the travel. There's BitBlock Boom, of course. It's going to be tons of fun in august i'm sure i'll see you there um and then um you know unconfiscatable in december uh those off the top of my head i think are it's great that the conferences are like back oh yeah baltic honey badger of course um but it's great that the conferences are are coming back and uh yeah me i'm just mike Jarmas on twitter and um that's it
0: yeah, and all that stuff will be in the show notes. Uh, the Lightning Ventures website will also be there and in the comments um, on YouTube if you're watching it there. So be sure to check them out. And uh, yeah, give M- Muzz a follow and come up to him on one of these conferences. Muzz, overall great dude. So I can uh, I can attest I met him in person a couple of times. So uh, give him a beer or coffee or something like that depending on what he's doing. So Muzz, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate your time tonight.
1: Thanks, Brandon. All right, well done.